On this week's Texas Tribune Tribcast, we'll talk about the lead-up to the 2019 Texas legislative session, the state's new arrivals to Congress, and the latest presidential buzz out of Texas. But before we do, I'd like to thank today's Tribcast sponsors. Harmony Public Schools, Texas's largest STEM-focused free charter school system, is accepting applications now at campuses statewide. Visit HarmonyTX.org to see why the TEA awarded Harmony 6A ratings for 2018. And visit Fort Worth. Discover the vibe behind the first music-friendly city in Texas at fortworth.com slash impact. Do I have to talk you in their head? Do we have to make sense of it? Hello, this is Emily Ramshaw here on Monday, January 7th with the Texas Tribune Tribcast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. I'm joined this week by CEO Evan Smith. Curse to me that I should have dressed in an Elvis jumpsuit like Herb Kelleher today. Wouldn't that have been great? You could do that next week. That would have been great. Wouldn't that have been good? Political reporter Patrick Svitek. Hello. Do you know who Elvis is? I do. And executive (laughs) editor Elvis Ramsey. Thank you so much. (laughs) He's kind of the Elvis of this office. As always, we'll take your questions in real time on Twitter and really? Facebook. You can do it using the hashtag Tribcast. It's not, we're not knocking you. Really? No, I'm just, yeah. Glad we got to this point. Uh, tomorrow, the 86 Texas legislature gavels in for hopefully one single session. Uh, I'm going to ask the three of you to make some sense of what we're all about to endure. Um, but I want to start with the money that they have to spend. Ross is here stack, stacking so, a big pile of So papers. we can get rid of all these stacks of paper. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Tell me, so what is the revenue estimate looking like? What's the budget fight going to be about? So the fast version is the state's going to bring in about $121 billion in state taxes. That's separate from federal and other funds. It believes it's going to. Uh, the con- the controller says it's going to happen, so that's his forecast at the moment. Uh, we have about four billion left over from the current budget, um, so that brings the total there to 125. They slip six billion over to the rainy day fund and the highway fund. They have to pull out 212 million to cover deficits in the Texas Tomorrow Fund. I, I thought that was really which interesting. Which is really interesting. Right, we can yeah. come back to that. And it leaves a total for general spending of $119.12 billion, about an 8.1% increase. And the, the nasty gram that Hager put in his letter to the legislators includes this line, looking ahead to the 2021 biennium, we remain cautiously optimistic, but recognize we are unlikely to see continued revenue growth at the unusually strong rates we have seen in recent months. Oil prices have dropped sharply since October. Financial markets have demonstrated increased volatility. Interest rates have been rising, and U.S. trade policy remains uncertain. As the nation's leading export state, the Texas economy in particular is exposed to potential reductions in international trade. So So basically his message being... If you parse all of that, basically they have uh, plenty of money this time, but But he's not not in the future. He's not giving them much great hope that it's going to continue like this, so don't commit yourselves... They would read it as saying, "Don't commit yourselves to long." Don't overspend. Don't overspend. Yeah, but it's and not. Then, a, but, but it's not a fire blanket revenue estimate, though, right? It's not. It's not a no. Debbie Downer revenue estimate. No, I mean it no. seems like a pretty. It, no, it seems like quite an optimistic revenue it estimate. Does, it, it is a better estimate or a higher estimate than you know I expected talking to people around this thing, mm-hmm. um, but it's not remarkably higher, and it mm-hmm. does have that sort of you know warning, you know posted above it. He said, as he always says, "This is for the next. This is my projection for the next 32 months." Something's going to change I don't know about. This sounds quite similar to budgeting with Evan Smith, yeah. which I am acutely <laughs> familiar with. At oh, this come point. on. I am such a Debbie right. Downer. Evan, Evan learned it all from Bob Bullock. Right. I guess, right? Uh, Evan, what do you want to say about the Texas Tomorrow Fund? 
Well, I think it's it's really interesting that this commitment was made many years ago and that the state is now having to dip into its uh, coffee can, its chock full of nuts can to make good on its obligations constitutionally to this. I mean, this is, uh, it's not, it's like $220 million, right? It's not very much. Well, this year. So the, the thing with the Tomorrow Fund right. is that they committed to the Tomorrow Fund, voters put it in the Constitution and, and then subsequently guaranteed it, said full faith and yep. credit of the state. And then they deregulated college tuition and by doing so blew up their actuarial tables. And so they suspended the fund. Carol Strayhorn did it when she was controller. They suspended the fund, but they were on the hook for all of the people who had already signed up. Um, and you know, the fund, because of those tuition increases, um, the payout going to cost up. more. It turned right. out to be a really great right. investment for people like me who bought it for their kids. Mm -hmm. But it was financially untenable if the legislature wasn't going to put up the money. But having given full credit, faith, and credit in the Constitution, they now have to. They have to have an obligation. These. What and is until the, the kids that signed up in this thing are all out of the system? The state's going to be paying. What, for what's it. the veteran? The, the I'm now blanking on the name of the program that guarantees tuition to veterans and the children of veterans. That was a big fight last session. Hazelwood. Isn't that, is that Hazelwood? Hazelwood? Yeah, Hazelwood, that's what yeah. I was going to say. Hazel, Hazelwood. So it's a little bit like the Hazelwood thing. It's like, you know, the, the well, it becomes, it, when, but when it comes time to actually fund this good idea, this well-meaning idea. Suddenly they have to figure out where the money's going to come from. Well, except yeah. that the difference here is that the, the parents of these kids invested. They basically said, you know, give, give us the money for the kids now described on this table. We'll guarantee their tuition rate. Fees, tuition fees and books, yeah. and uh, we'll pay it. And then what they were paying out doesn't match what was paid in by the parents, and so the state's on the What, what do you think Hager's uh, game is here uh, politically? On the whole thing? On the whole thing. I think he's saying you have, um, you have a robust economy that has put a bunch of money on the table. You're up 8.1%. I don't expect double-digit increases. There are clouds on the horizon spend with the clouds in mind. Yeah. What, what it's not is the mob accountant as comptroller or comptroller as mob accountant philosophy here, which is, you know, I'm working for the guys at the Capitol. I'm working for the governor and I'm working for the political apparatus and I'm going to give a revenue estimate that is in some way tinged with politics. This did not feel at all like a politically tinged revenue. No, estimate. but it did feel like a message that you have enough money to get your shit done, basically. And the question is then what that shit is. Well, so, and then the problem for the legislature is the stuff that they've proposed to do is super expensive. Right. You know, school finance, property taxes, uh, Harvey, those are all three really big expensive things. Now, you may get Harvey money out of the rainy day fund. It's a one-time expenditure. The legislature has been loath to spend money out of the the economic stabilization fund is the official name um, for anything that wasn't a one-time expense. But you can argue Harvey's a one-time expense and maybe that doesn't hit this hundred million. And he's projecting that at the end of the next biennium, it's going to be more than $15 billion. Right, 15.4 billion. I mean. I mean, but it sounds like he's also forecasting rainy days. Right. They're just not this year. Uh, so, Patrick, as you look at the upcoming legislative session, um, beyond these the sort of revenue projections in the budget, what are the big issues for the uninitiated? What are the big issues you're expecting to come to the fore? Property taxes, school finance, and that's, and that's about <laughs> really, it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, following, you know, public remarks from statewide officials and lawmakers, you think that's really the only thing that they're focused on. And I'm sure they right now prefer that to be the, <laughs> the perception that yep. they have a laser-like focus on those two issues. The light governor would add teacher pay raises. In right. fact, he did right. in his release today, 
which let's point out, anytime the legislature attempts to increase teacher pay, it's an unfunded mandate, right? Well, it, yeah, unless they do it in formulas. Right. Well, Right. So what are, what are we likely to see when it comes to school finance reform? A lot of people asking on social media, will we get actual school finance reform during the legislative session? Um, will school finance be fixed? Philip wants to know. We'll tell you that after we tell you tonight's lottery numbers. <laughs> right. Who the hell knows what's nobody, going to happen? Nobody um, means exactly, the, not everybody means exactly the same thing when they say school finance. Mm -hmm. are, you, are you talking about uh, changing, you know, the outdated weights that you get for, you know, educating this kid will cost this much, this one has special needs, this one has English as a second language, how much money to assign to them. If, if school finance means how are you distributing money and how is that different, that's one thing. If it means uh, are, you, are you messing in a serious way with the share paid by the state and by local school districts and by the feds, even if you're not increasing the overall amount that people spend. Right now it's 55.5% local funding, 35% state funding, and the rest is federal funding. To even that up is about $5.7 billion a year uh, to bring the state to 50%, as some already proposed legislation would do, is something on the order of 12 to $15 billion. I mean, aren't these two, these two big priorities like inextricably linked here? Uh, the pro, you know, property tax, reducing property taxes, and finding ways to better or more equ equitably fund schools? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, if on, on one end of this, I mean, you, you saw this in the elections. I mean, if you talk about uh, school finance to some people, they're talking about, will it lower my property taxes? And you get to school finance through, you, you get them to swallow whatever bitter pills there are in school finance by lowering property taxes. That's one way to one set of customers. The way to another set of customers is you're changing these weights, you're increasing teacher pay, you're rebalancing the state and local stuff, you know, and these are mostly Democrats or Republicans and these are mostly Democrats, and you've got to figure out a way to get them both on board. And what are the social issues that we are likely to see crop up? Maybe they're not the biggest priority right now, but are we going to, I'm seeing questions on social media about uh, constitutional carry, for example. Could there be a resurgence of the bathroom bill, you know, abortion legislation, or is this going to be a different kind of session than we've seen in years past? Um, I'm sure those issues could um, come up this session, but they are not being prioritized in the lead up to this session like they were in the lead up to the last session. I think that much is clear. The, the pre-session discussion this time around is just so much more um, sober in some ways um, than it was last session when not only were we talking about a, a bathroom bill, uh, but the governor was pushing, uh, or, uh, the governor and lieutenant governor were pushing the sanctuary cities banned, obviously very controversial immigration related issue. Um, it's just remarkable, I think, comparing kind of the conversation the rhetoric, in yeah. Austin before last session versus this one. Um, heading into this session, folks, you know, again, are, are really emphasizing the two issues of property tax and school finance, but these social issues are really nowhere to be found in terms of being front and center. Yeah, Evan seems almost bored. that doesn't mean they're bored. not going to come. <laughs> I think I'm bored too. But <laughs> just about this I'm just bored about this podcast. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean they're not going to come up. Um, you know, but it just the prioritization is, is different, I mm -hmm. think. Th this is a, a kitchen table session, not a bathroom session, mm -hmm. if you want to think of it in terms, oh, of, your, in terms of your house. <laughs> You've been saving that Good up. Good one, yep. Write it down this weekend. That's trademarked. Start. Must credit. Yeah. Must credit. Um, no, look, here's, here's the thing. I, a part of it is that elections have consequences. And, and, uh, and getting defeated at the polls have consequences. Many of the people who would have pushed 
issues of the kind that Patrick is talking about did not get elected in November. Mm -hmm. The legislature looks less like a legislature that would be inclined to put those issues front and center than, um, than it might be, and then the last one was. That is not to say that there are not people in the legislature who intend to throw long passes right. down the rightward end of the field. Um, or the know, leftward end. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, although the leftward end passes tend not to be caught to continue this ridiculous analogy or metaphor um, and have not tended to be- still on must credit. Right. right. Are, are, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, here's an example, something I noticed last week. You know, we all get these releases from legislators' offices saying so-and-so has filed thus and such. Mays Middleton, who is the conservative- uh, legislator to be, legislator elect as of tomorrow, legislator who represents the Galveston area, right. uh, beat Wayne Faircloth, Wayne Faircloth in the primary, Governor Abbott's only victory in the let's go after incumbents I don't like primary, right? Um, announced last week that he was going to file or had filed legislation to preclude, to prohibit um, taxpayer dollars going to municipal lobbying. Right. Uh, he's called out specifically for the purpose of um, uh, trying to get a control over property taxes. His thought was that cities are using taxpayer dollars to lobby against caps on property tax increases. And so the cities are working against their own residents by using their own money to do so, right? That was right. the third, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's the theory. You know, that's the kind of thing that we will see this session. Now, it's not a social issue. Right. We'll see that in the middle of the property potato. tax debate. Mm -hmm. sure. Right. There are going to be things that are going to come up that will have sharp sharp edges. Right. I do think it's the kind of session, though, where you're going to have to look out for some of those right. things, like in budget riders, sure. things that are sort of snuck in sure. uh, through the back door because but, they don't... But a lot of the people who are inclined to push those buttons in previous sessions didn't get elected, right. didn't come back. And so it's just a, numer it's a numerical thing. If there are fewer people inclined to put sharp objects on the table, fewer sharp objects will materialize. It's not saying none will materialize. Yeah, yeah I think you know, there, there are a lot of unemployed legislators after this thing gets started. There's only a few that actually do the budget. There are only a few who actually are down in the weeds on school finance and only a few who are really deeply involved in tax bills. They'll all have ideas about those, but you know, a lot of, you know, a hundred of those legislators at least are gonna be underemployed for a time and you know, They'll file something, they always do. There is something I am wondering about very quickly, and that is I want to see in a way that has, um, is more uh, a sort of breathless excitement like the night before Christmas than in previous sessions, I want to see the chairmanships. I want to know who is going to be leading the discussions on these issues at the committee level. Right. Not Charles Schwartner. We know that at least. Uh, question from Ash on social media. Good question. Uh, does the federal focus on the border mean that there's a chance the state will spend less there, spend maybe less money, spend less time on that issue? It hasn't really been a, a big hot button leading into the session, and I do wonder it, it if It hasn't, but it's, it is hard to see there being, even with the political tone shifted a little bit, I think it's hard to see... Um, in a state like Texas where Republicans still hold all the levers of power, there being the political appetite for pulling back any kind of commitment to border security. I think that that's still <laughs> politically poisonous. Well, you know, but the whole rap on this thing was a, was a, was a knock on the Obama administration. Right. We're spending $800 billion, $800 million, sorry, $800 million on border security in these budgets. We've done it twice now. That should be money spent by the federal government. Okay, we're a Republican government, you have a Republican government, 
they should pay for it, right? And, you know, if the feds pay for it, then, you know, maybe Texas can pull that money back yeah. and use it for property taxes or school finance. Well, this right. is what yeah, the, I mean, that's the Democrats a... <laughs> consistently say when I ask them, you know, how are you going to pay for all this additional public right. ed spending? They say, well, we should just take that border right. security right. allocation right. down to near right zero. Yeah, I mean, Ross is the, like, intellectually honest <laughs> take on this. But, I mean, the, the fact Man, of the matter take is... take the W on I that. I'm, Boy, huh? I'm just saying, though, good. the fact of the matter is we, there, was, there was this discussion ahead of... <laughs> ahead of last session when, you know, Donald Trump was elected. And going into that session, we had some Republican lawmakers flirting with the idea of, you know, yay, now we got a, a cooperative federal government. Maybe we can pull back border security. And that didn't really go anywhere. And so I just don't see the political appetite yeah. there for pulling back those, those dollars. Clearly, the federal conversation around border security is going really well. Right? Not <laughs> controversial at all. So I'm sure we can solve this. No problem yeah. at all. Yeah. Uh, Ross, why don't you give us the quick update on uh, Senator Shortner, who uh, sent a letter this week basically saying that he is stepping down or not throwing in to be chairman again of the Health and, Health and Human Services Dear Committee. Dear Lieutenant the Governor Patrick, per our conversation. Per our will, conversation. I wonder I, how that conversation yeah, I went. I won't be... Um, how did he say? He didn't say, I won't be seeking, I won't be serving as... In some way, he removed himself from consideration for continued service on the Senate. And spend more services. time with his family. I love the fact that the lieutenant governor said... Uh, and, and the lieutenant governor... Oh, oh, this was consistent with what I intended yeah, anyway. He spanked him anyway. Um, mm. You know, he got everybody off the hook in a way. He said, you know, I'm not going to be on this committee. I want to spend more time on other legislation and with my family. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and the question now is whether they're going to keep him on finance. He's also on the finance committee and whether they keep him on the... Finance Committee and whether there are, you know, there are several unanswered questions about this whole investigation. That, this uh, is the investigation into the, you know, sexting, dirty uh, text messages right. that were sent by someone. So does he end up not not chairing any committees this session? Is he in basically he's chairmanship already, he's timeout? Pulled him, he's pulled so, himself out of his own chairmanship. So you but, don't so get to be another chairman. Another and not only do you not, is he not going to be a chairman, but I mean, so it's okay to not uh, you can just step down. Being a chairman is off the the books, but being in the Senate is a-okay? -A I mean, do you expect there to be some drama in the early days of the Senate? I think everybody's really anxious about this. I mean, you know, you don't want to endorse somebody who might have done something else. You want to pull, you know, your friends along and help them, you know, in times of stress. But the Senate's been notably quiet about this, and the lieutenant governor kicking him after he, after he put that press release out was, I, I, I think, indicative wasn't that of... odd? Oh. Well, he said, you know, I'm pulling myself out of consideration. And, you know, at that point, the lieutenant governor's off the hook, the Senate's off the hook. Everybody, Everybody just, just could have said, thank you for your service. Keep whistling and move through the cemetery. Yeah. And, and the lieutenant governor put out a statement that said, well, that's what I was going to do anyway. Yeah. I just have a hard time believing the story is over. I yeah. mean, it's there are not, so many unanswered over. questions. Reporters are still going to be digging into this. Lawmakers are going to be asked about it. Uh, Dan Patrick's going to be asked about it. And next time he gets close to a reporter... Um, you know, I mean, it's just so hard to believe that this is kind of like, you know, over. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they, they would love for that to happen. Are, aren't there policies that were put into place either in the Senate or policies of the governor's office related to accusations around this that it, theoretically triggered the involvement of the Texas... Am I remembering it, some it, kind it all, of a... It all depends on <laughs> who the people are who are involved. Right. And it seems to me that in order to trigger some kind of investigation in the Senate, it, it would have had to involve someone else who works in or around state government. Right. So, so, so but what, 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 what was the governor's policy? Didn't the governor announce some kind of a policy involving public officials and the Texas Rangers or some, some something? 
Am I remembering? I don't know. Yeah, I've got, I don't have the specifics in hand. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, so is it? But, but I mean, the he, House and Senate each right. were developing policies. I think you know, in the rules that we see out of them tomorrow, there'll probably be some Me Too stuff in there. Right. Some conversations around it, um, and they were mostly, as as Emily was pointing out, mostly talking about policies for state employees, it's mm -hmm. a little harder to get to office holders. I, I guess what I'm saying is if Pat, Patrick is probably right that the story is not going away, I'm wondering if behind the scenes that something we're not aware of may be already happening based on a policy currently in place. I mean, it is hard to believe that, you know, I refuse to cooperate. I know who the person is who used this app, had my password or whatever. I'm not going to tell you who it is. And UT goes, well, that's the end of that conversation. And then everybody just moves. It's hard to imagine that that's going to be the last word on it. I think UT has limited purview and it and has to sort of end, I think, when they know that Title IX hasn't been violated. And there's been no allegation that a law was violated. Yep. So. Um, quick question from Tyler Norris, planting another rumor with us. What a <laughs> committee is being appointed three weeks to a full month early, parentheses, as is the rumor, parentheses, due to the 140-day sprint in the legislature? Maybe. Is it, isn't it always, always 140 days? This is always, this is the beginning of a session. Welcome to the lobby, Tyler. <laughs> All right, before T our next topic. The, wait, 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 before, yes. Typically, the governor, the lieutenant governor <laughs> wait, announced, yes, right. the lieutenant governor announced his committees, if I'm remembering correctly, at the beginning of the last session, quite a bit earlier. A couple of weeks in, a couple of weeks in, in 2015, a couple of weeks in, a little bit earlier. In, but earlier in than the speaker did, am I right? The Senate always does. Yeah. The Senate always starts at a, at a run, a, the House at a trot. The rumor that you know he may be referring to is that uh, there's been a rumor at the Capitol that Speaker Presumptive Dennis Bonin is going to be faster about this. I think that's speculation about Bonin's personality and just you know mm -hmm. he likes to do things fast. But you know we'll know when we know. It's it's a very tricky thing, and you know it ends up with a bunch of bruised feelings and it sets the tone for his whole speakership. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to be cautious. All right, before our next topic, I'd like to thank two more TribCast sponsors. Bills Up Now is a legislative tracking service that allows anyone to stay up to date on the issues that matter most without sacrificing their schedules. Schedule a demo today at billsupnow.com. And founded by HEB chairman and CEO Charles Butt, the Holdsworth Center helps Texas public school districts cultivate a pipeline of effective leaders. Visit holdsworthcenter.org to learn more. All right, so meanwhile in Washington, while we've, we have all these lawmakers here in Texas who are getting ready to take off at the legislature, uh, those who have recently arrived to Congress are there getting ready to cast their first votes and they have a, a government that is shut down. What is the, the mood among you know, the Texans who are showing up in Congress for the first time? I think some of these freshmen are very quickly cutting out some pretty prominent profiles in Washington. Uh, you look at someone like Veronica Escobar, um, already a pretty high profile being one of the first uh, Latina members of Congress from Texas. Um, but she's been front and center uh, supporting Nancy Pelosi for speaker, obviously won the speakership recently. Um, she's been front and center helping unveil some of the first pieces of, of legislation um, for the new Democratic majority. And she's from El Paso and is an authority on, on the border. And so that puts her right in, in the middle of all these, these conversations driving nationally right now. Also someone like uh, Dan Crenshaw, a Republican from Houston who replaced Ted Poe, um, you know, who already kind of had this national profile from the whole uh, Pete Davidson making fun of him on SNL and then coming back and apologizing and everything. Uh, but Crenshaw has, I mean, I looked last night, he tweeted out some video, um, you know, pushing back against some criticism of Trump voters. It had like 16,000 retweets in eight hours. From, Congressman from Georgia yeah, I mean, had so, criticized Trump right, voters. Right, exactly. Yeah, I was trying to, trying to be... <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's very clear that some of these freshmen are going to, uh, you know, have arrived pretty loudly in mm-hmm. Washington and are going to have prominent roles. How many of these Democrats from Texas had sort of sworn off of Nancy Pelosi and then turned around and yeah. cast votes for her? N- none of the ones who won specifically said, I'm not going to vote for Nancy Pelosi for speaker, but they left to all kinds of wiggle room basically mm-hmm. for this exact scenario so they could eventually vote for Nancy Pelosi for speaker. And so the two Democrats who flipped Republican held seats, Lizzie Fletcher, who beat John Culberson in Houston, and Colin Allred, who beat Pete Sessions in Dallas, both of them had basically kind of kept their options open and said, you know, oh, you know, I want to see who's all going to run for speaker, you know. You know, uh, Lizzie Fletcher, you know, uh, she ran a, a pretty memorable ad during her race where she said, um, you know, she was being attacked by the Republicans as trying to link her to Nancy Pelosi. She put out this ad and faced the camera and said, you know, I'm never going to take I'm not going to take orders from Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, you know, that was clearly a political lightning rod in her race. Um, you know, and she, she voted for Nancy Pelosi ultimately. Not that it's necessarily... Um, Hypocritical, but you know Republicans are very quick to point out that she ran that ad where she clearly was trying to put some space between herself and Nancy right. Pelosi. Right, um, and despite the fact that these uh, new uh, members of Congress from Texas have arrived sort of noisily, it, this does reflect a diminishing clout in Washington uh, for Texans. Evan, talk a little bit about that. I mean, we had some really big names who'd been in Congress for a really long time who either retired or lost their seats. Right, you had significant chairman Republicans, obviously, when Republicans were in the majority, and the way that this works, even if you don't have a change of uh, of party is that uh, in control of the house is that people are term limited or time limited out as chairs so the house flips from uh republican to democrat and i know that eddie bernice johnson is chairing uh a consequential committee i'm not certain I think that she's it she, yeah. I, I, i'm gonna say i'm not certain that any other mm-hmm. democrats are in a similar position although as patrick correctly points out regardless of tenure and eddie bernice johnson is one of the longer tenured members of the of the House of either party. Um, regardless of that, you've got people who are relatively new to the scene who are stepping up and playing a, a prominent role. So I think the conventional version of clout or the conventional definition of clout notwithstanding, um, you will see Texans in the middle of a lot of conversations. There was Colin Allred on CBS Face the Nation this Yeah, and he weekend. was a previously elected freshman class co-president. Co-president, with you know. Yeah. Um, you've, got, you've got people who are going to be on display. I mean, I've actually been surprised that I haven't seen or heard much from Ron Wright, Van Taylor, Lance Gooden up to this point. Uh, You know, Chip Roy has been relatively quiet, although he's got a pretty active social media presence. You know, the Republican members now in the minority from Texas are also going to be diminished um, uh, a a little bit more from the way it was when they were in the majority because the opportunity for them to be out in front of the cameras is not going to be as great. So, look, I think it'll be fine. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to cover this new batch. We'll see where the, you know, separate wheat from chaff, yep. as, as always happens. All right, well, uh, Patrick, well, sticking with you for a second, we're expected to hear the news this coming weekend that we've anticipated for a while and that has basically been out there already, which is Julian Castro officially uh, announcing for president. What are your expectations for the weekend? Where is he doing it? Where are you going? Yeah, he's doing it at Guadalupe Plaza in San Antonio is on the city's west side, kind of uh, near where he uh, he grew up. 
Obviously, he's been preparing for this for over two years now, or close to two years, something like that. Um, no surprise that he's going to, you know, announce that he's running. Uh, but I'm very curious to see kind of what the, kind of the the tone and tenor of his remarks. Kind of, you know, right now, all these potential Democratic uh, presidential candidates are trying to figure out kind of what lane or lanes they want to occupy within this primary. Kind of what voters they want to uh, appeal to, and, and kind of wh where they view their advantages. And so, I, you know, this is going to be his highest profile. Um, you know, moment yet as a potential soon to be declared candidate. So I'm curious to see how he uses it, what issues he plans to talk about, what themes he, he you know, plans to sound out. Um, and he's already kind of test driving the message this week. He's in Iowa today and he's going to be in Nevada later in the week. And so, um, you know, not a lot of surprise here about what the actual news is going to be, but it'll be interesting to see what he says. What moves him out of the last paragraph of all those stories right. that's, that's also running in this race are? I think he'd love to be right. in the last paragraph. He's in he's the, not there even there in are the last stories where he's right not now. even in the last paragraph. Well, he's been in some of them. I'm just saying, how does he get, you know, um, regardless of what lane he chooses, how does he get his car in the race? I mean, right. you know, there are a lot of bigger better known people. I know it's really early, but what about him marks him as a, as a comer? In well, and on that, in that vein, I mean, what, is there some kind of strategy to his timing? You know, do, what do you think his rationale is as he thinks about Beto and as he looks at, you know, the existing field? This is early, right? I mean, right. is there a benefit to him getting in this early? You know, I don't think he's straying from probably whatever his, you know, original plans were. I mean, he's, we've talked about before how open and transparent he's been about his timeline and how he's likely to do this. And so, you know, he, he had been saying that he would make an announcement after the first of the year for a while, you know, uh, deep into last year. And so I'm not necessarily convinced that, you know, he's like kind of moved up this announcement recently or made any kind of deliberate move to time it around, around then. I think this is probably what he was looking at for a while. So I'm, I'm not reading too much into that at this point. Um, but meanwhile, yeah, what's the, the latest Beto news? He's got some other folks coming out and saying, I'm not going to run, but he should. Well, Martin O'Malley. <laughs> I mean, that's very generous to Martin O'Malley to call him some other yeah. folks. Some <laughs> I think O'Malley, O'Malley is, is a really interesting... Oh, meaningless, is that's I'm afraid. That's not usually said, but... Yeah. Um, <laughs> O'Malley did, you know, for, for you know, the, the lack of support he had in, in, in 2016 and uh, for what probably would have been a you know dearth of support in 2020, but he he definitely um, really has up, spent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. no. it's very convincing. <laughs> um, you know, he had a reputation though in Iowa and some of the other early voting states though for for being pretty well connected. I mean, you know, he stepped down from being Maryland governor like 2014 or something. So he is he is he is someone who is actually pretty plugged in in some of these early voting states. And for Beto O'Rourke would actually be, I think, a pretty valuable resource uh, to, to have on his side. I um, mean, and he basically said he ought to run, which was, right. you know. Right. You guys, there are like 30 people going to run or are looking seriously at running. And you asked why Castro got in when he did. Mm -hmm. Barack Obama got in the 2008 race in early February of 2007. This is within that same... Time well, he window. seems to be running the same textbook. Mm -hmm. uh, he, you know, he is the demography is destiny candidate, both in terms of age, youth, and in terms of ethnicity. He's making a conscious, full-throated call to young people and to people of color in this country to get behind him. That's his lane. That's his brand. That lane will be occupied by other people pretty soon. Mm -hmm. Better to get out ahead of it. Yeah. and maybe catch fire. You know, Elizabeth Warren has been in Iowa for the last week hiring everybody of consequence in the Iowa political universe, people who had worked for Sanders and other people, mm -hmm. impressing people. They worked for, they with, worked for Jeb Bush? 
Well, but I know. I mean, it's got it's got two different sides to it. But right. the point is, there's this race is on, on, on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he needs to get in, and he needs to see if he can figure out a way to catch fire. I'm bet to work. And I wrote about this a little, a little bit last week. But I'm very curious what he does over these next few months to keep his profile up. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, some of the news and, and media attention is going to come to him naturally. He doesn't have to, you know, go out and, and earn it per se. But he's obviously no longer a congressman, no longer being approached in the hallways by reporters asking. Well, he hasn't about this. been visible, has he, publicly? Right? N not really. No, he's no longer holding these monthly town halls. You know, yeah. where you know for the, at least in November and December, national media reporters flew out to El Paso and peppered him with questions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he tweeted these two videos that were, uh, you know, very well viewed over Christmas about the, you know, against the border wall. Um, and they racked up a lot of views online. But it's, um, but so far, he hasn't been doing a lot of media appearances. Um, you know, not obviously not doing a lot of, you know, speaking engagements. He's not traveling, at least from what we can see publicly. And so, you know, Again, he's he's still kind of the shiny new object, but you know you're gonna have more people announcing. Obviously, Elizabeth Warren just had a pretty a pretty uh, positive run of press in mm -hmm. in Iowa, and so is this kind of a question of you know how do you keep yourself in the conversation? And I'm curious to see how he does that over these next few months. Well, that's all the time we have for this conversation. Thanks to Harmony Public Schools, Visit Fort Worth, Bills Up Now, and the Holdsworth Center, our sponsors this week. And an extra special thanks to Spoon for our theme music. On behalf of Evan, Ross, Patrick, and our producers, Michael, Ray, and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Oh,